You're listening to Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? My guest today is the author of the book Subverted, How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. Sue Ellen Browder has two decades of writing for Cosmo magazine, creating, ultimately, the Cosmo Girl. That woman we see is the ideal picture perfect in all movies, news articles, female bosses that we hear about in the news, and yet there's some concern with what's ultimately happened here. Sue Ellen's here to give a tell-all about her experience. Thank you for joining Trending. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. As a journalist, you spent a number of years writing for Cosmo magazine. What was your mission as a writer for Cosmo? Well, I wouldn't say I personally had a mission. That's kind of a Christian word. <laughs> but I was an <laughs> ambitious young woman who wanted to make money, and I wanted to be successful, and Cosmo was the, was the hottest women's magazine in the nation at that time. And so my goal was to be successful, and that's how I ended up uh, writing for Cosmo. Now, while you were writing for Cosmo, you ultimately had various projects that they had the goal of you implementing. So what were some of the stories you most commonly wrote, and how would you go about creating these stories? Okay, well, the the thing that I've told in, in Subverted, and also in my new book, Sex and the Catholic Feminist, we talk about propaganda and how propaganda works. I propaganda isn't just a bunch of lies. If it was, you would be able to spot it easily. But propaganda is half-truth, limited truth, and truth out of context. That's why it's so hard to spot. And at Cosmo, I say that we wrote propaganda because we made up a lot of little stories about these young women having these exciting sex lives, but they were, they were made up. They, these were not real people. We manufactured the, that Cosmo girl. She didn't actually exist when I was there in the, in the 1970s and 80s. So, was, so there was this normalization of a new type of lifestyle that wasn't common at the time, yet people think this is the way everyone lived already back in the 80s in particular. In and so let's 70s, talk a little yeah. bit, yeah, let's talk a little more about the propaganda and kind of this false reality that was created. Can you tell us some stories and examples of writing pieces and how you were told to go about writing Right. Helen Gurley Brown, who was Cosmo's editor-in-chief, she had turned, turned Cosmopolitan from a general interest magazine into a sex rag in the mid-1960s. And she had even written up a, a set of rules telling our writers and editors how to make up stories for the magazine and even how to make up experts. So here's what one of the rules says. I kept that list of rules for 50 years, but when I was writing Subverted, I could not find it. And one day, in the garage in a box, I found that list of rules. So I've got the exact things that those rules said. Here's what one of the rules says. Unless you are a recognized authority on a subject, profound statements must be attributed to somebody appropriate, even if the writer has to invent the authority. So in other words, it's okay, it's even good to invent an authority if you can't find a real person to say what you want them to say. Okay? So here's, she gives two examples. Bad. This is not what you're supposed to do. All psychiatrists are basically Freudians. 
Well, of course, that's not only partially true. Not all psychiatrists are Freudians. But some of them are. Here she says it's better. <laughs> According to one practitioner who specializes in group therapy, all psychiatrists are Freudians. So now we've invented this authority to tell us this lie. So presumably the reader will be more inclined to, to believe it. So propagandists create false authorities. And they create false stories. She said, another one of her rules is try to locate some of the buildings, restaurants, nightclubs, parks, streets, as well as entire case histories in cities other than New York, even if you deliberately have to plant them elsewhere. Most writers live in New York. That was at that time. 92% of our writers do not. So by making up these women that were having these sexually free lifestyles and were having so much fun and planting them in places like Cleveland and Des Moines and Albuquerque, we made the sex revolutions, then quite shocking mores, seem quite well, a lot more widespread and accepted than they actually were. So the unspoken message, again, to the young reader who maybe, who's very insecure is, everybody else is doing this. Why are you being such mm -hmm. a stick in the mud? Why don't you go out and have so much fun? Right? Right. It's so a fake stories. Yeah. These were it's fake, fake stories. stories. Right. About fake people. I mean, ultimately, this is fan fiction. We're making up entertainment. So Cosmo That's was right. really entertainment, but instead it had this goal of influencing women. Why do you think Helen Gurley Brown uh, decided to kind of create these rules? Where did these rules come from? And was this a part of a bigger movement overall? Well, she was creating the rules because she was trying to sell the sexual revolution to young women. Why was she trying to sell the sexual revolution to young women? Because if you sell women on the Cosmo lifestyle, they will just naturally think they have to buy all those products in the magazine. There was a, there was a, um, pro, a, a man in the early 19th, uh, 19th century, or in the early, early 20th century, Edward Bernays, who was Sigmund Freud's nephew. And he wrote a book called Propaganda, and he told how propaganda works. He says, how do you sell pianos to the middle class? Because a, a piano is a pretty high class, pretty expensive item. You sell it by selling the music room. You have all these beautiful homes and house beautiful and architectural digests with all of these rich people who have these music rooms. And once you sell the middle class on the idea they need a music room, they'll just naturally say, ah, i got to have a piano. You see, this was in the early 1900s. How do you sell a young woman on beautiful clothes, hair products, abortions, contraception, singles travel, all these things that are advertised, in, not just in Cosmo, but all these women's fashion magazines? You sell it by selling the Cosmo lifestyle. And once a young woman thinks that she's got to live that way, she'll just naturally think, ah, i got to have all these other products. Wow, it's so incredible because... Works. Right. It's incredible because Cosmo was so ahead of its time in implementing this because today this is called branded entertainment, right? You tell a story and then you have product placement. This is what right. Cosmo did before this became popular, let's say over the last five years. So ultimately, as you're working with Cosmo magazine and working on implementing this propaganda, it was effective. And what was oh, yeah. were they ultimately trying to communicate about the perceived value and purpose of a woman's life? 
Well, the perceived value and purpose of a woman's life was to be successful and to have sex without the kids. Helen Gurley Brown taught that sex without the kids will set you free. Hard work, you had to have a career. Hard work and sex without the kids would set you free. That was her message, and that we're still getting that message today. It's hard because we live in a time where so many women are struck in this, stuck in this dichotomy between having yeah. a career versus being a mom. And they're told, well, actually, you can do it all. Yet so many women are struggling interiorly. They you know, have what we hear referred to so often as mom guilt. And it's so frustrating because you see this firsthand. Cosmo Magazine really put that wedge in between a woman and her child, saying the career is what makes you successful and you're kids, if you have them, just have to come along with you and they'll adapt. Everything will be fine. But what's happening is the child often isn't okay. We have all of these behavioral struggles going on. But often the whole time the mother has this deep-seated uneasiness within her heart that a lot of people aren't talking about, Sue. Ultimately ends up impacting her marriage day in and day out. Can you speak a little bit to this? That's right. Well, I think the thing that women have to realize is that, you know, here's a question. How how did I handle this? Okay. How did I handle having a high wattage career and also raising children? Because I did both. I did it by working at home. I'm working as a freelancer at home. Um, so I think women have to uh, balance what they're doing, may, raising the kids and then you, there's plenty of time for a career when you're when you're 45 and the kids have grown up. I mean, there's plenty of time. I knew a woman who had six children and then went back and got her PhD and was a very, very successful psychobiologist at the University of Connecticut. So you've got plenty. We li- we're living longer now. The children need to come first when we're young. And because that's when it's easiest to have them. And it's also the most fun. You know, you don't want to be having a three-year-old when you're 50. <laughs> that's, that's hard work, <laughs> if you could even do it. But um, have the children young and then try, in, the, in this day and age, there's so much ability to work from home. Um, we're seeing that constantly now. Um, and so this may be a new thing. That there's so many people working at home and finding out that they can do it. You can combine the two. That's how I, how I did it. And I had a very supportive husband who also worked at home. So we both worked together and raised the kids together. And that that was the way we did it. I always have to emphasize as well with what you're sharing, you know, you're talking about working from home, uh, delaying your career some. Also, you know, people forget to emphasize that your greatest contribution often is the children that you are raising. I mean, that's one incredible way to impact the world down the way. But also, so many women have incredible gifts to be given to the community through volunteering, the PTA and various nonprofits. We'll be right back here with Sue Ellen Browder, a two-decade-long career writing for Cosmo Magazine, creating the Cosmo Girl, and the author of the book Subverted, How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. We'll be right back. Timory will be right back. You can reach her on Instagram and Twitter at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. 
I want to extend an invitation for you to join me if you haven't heard the news. Trending with Timory is now daily on Relevant Radio, Monday through Friday. That's at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Now, here's the exciting thing. We now have a daily podcast. So I want to encourage you to go and subscribe to the podcast. We have our very own Relevant Radio app where you can listen to all the podcasts of Trending, pause, play, and even share them. Or you can now subscribe again on your favorite podcasting apps whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or let us know where you want to hear us. That way you can access your favorite podcast, of course, Trending with Timory, and not miss a single one of those options for the daily shows and the various topics that we cover. Check out the links below in the description where you can find the links to your favorite podcasting locations because we have two separate podcasts. I want to make sure you're getting that daily dose so that you can go a little bit deeper. And don't forget, if you want us to talk about a specific topic or you have a question, just head over to relevantradio.com slash trending where you can connect on social media and ask your questions. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory. My guest today is Sue Ellen Browder. She's the author of Subverted, the book How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement, and also of the new book, Sex and the Catholic Feminists, New Choices for a New Generation. Now, she has over two decades of experience writing for Cosmopolitan Magazine, ultimately creating the stories of the Cosmo Girl, pushing the propaganda of the radical feminist movement that has really pulled the woman out of the home and led her to a point of being very confused about her value in life and her purpose. And so, Sue Ellen, I'd like to discuss more kind of the key points of the hijacking of the women's movement, and then dive into some of the antidote, which I know has been a huge part of your journey and having left that lifestyle behind. Okay. Well, in, in my book, Subverted, there's a very important chapter in which we talk about how contraception abortion and sex education were inserted into the women's movement by um, only 57 people. It was on November 18, 1967, in the Chinese room of the Mayflower Hotel, when um, about 100 people, 105 people who were forming the National Organization for Women, met at their second annual conference. And they were meeting that day, that day and night, um, that weekend actually, to vote for a bill of rights, a political bill of rights for liberated women. And most of the rights they voted for were things that we would all agree on. Women shouldn't be fired for being pregnant. In those days, I was fired for being pregnant. You can see why women who wanted, wanted a women's movement, because, you know, if women should not be fired for being pregnant... So one of the one of the uh, things they fought for was women shouldn't be fired for being pregnant. A married woman should be able to apply for credit in her own name. Um, women should be able to serve on a jury. In some states, women in those days could not serve on juries. So there were a lot of things that women were fighting for that were legitimate in the feminist movement. They were fighting for equity in academia and the workforce. But there was one. There were two. Um, issues that night that they fought over. One was the Equal Rights Amendment, and they fought over that for a long time because one woman who was 
fiercely opposed to it, said, human rights are indivisible. If we had listened to her, we wouldn't have Roe v. Wade today, dicing and slicing women's rights and babies' rights. Human rights are indivisible. So that was the ERA was not necessary because women already had the, had rights. We we have rights under the Constitution. Uh, the other bat, uh, thing that fought, they fought over the, until almost midnight that night was the abortion, the demand for abortion for women. And they, there was a lot of fighting going on over it. And finally, when that finished, there were, when that battle finished, there were only 57 people in that room that night that voted to insert abortion, the demands for abortion in the women's movement. And we're still fighting over that issue today. And Betty Friedan, who was the president of the National Organization for Women, came out on the next Monday morning and before the press. The press no, no press people were in that room, so they didn't see what happened. And she claimed she was speaking for every woman in America. All the women who were at home, all the people who were in college, all the women wanting to go back to work, she claimed that this abortion um, demand was for everybody. And that's what we're still fighting over because... Um, in my new book, I'm making the, the uh, very, very solid claim that the pro-life women's movement is the authentic women's movement of the 19 of the 21st century. It was Amen. The, uh, yes, and and so if women understand that the pro-life movement is the authentic feminist movement, they will not be saying, oh, I'm so powerless, I'm just sitting at home being a mommy. No, 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 no. You're being doing one of the most powerful things you can do, as you said. And, uh, the, and, and the, the, the uh, culture has been sold a bill of goods on this. Sue, this is so important that you emphasize because there's this uh, turmoil in society over claiming the title of feminism. Original feminists were pro-life, but it was with the introduction of people such as Betty Friedan that hijacked, as you say, the original women's movement. And so when women want to be pro-feminist, that's a great thing given its original meaning. And you mentioned some of the reasons women were speaking out. Yet at the same time, as we saw the Equal Rights Amendment implemented and people such as Phyllis Schlafly went up against others such as Betty Friedan and this whole issue of the life issue and women's rights being protected, that's where the waters got really, really murky with regard to what does feminism mean and why so many people like ourselves object to someone claiming, hey, I'm a feminist because those ideologies are so dark when it comes to abortion, contraception, and even just self-understanding with regard to gender today. That's what you've, you've hit on the important point there. The thing we're really fighting, the Catholics, Christians, all of us are really fighting is not feminism per se, which we all believe in equal rights for women, equity for women and, and men. What we're fighting against is the false joining of the sexual revolution with feminism. It's those sexual revolution demands that we're fighting. If we recognize that we are the ones speaking for the true dignity and respect of women, both in this country and around the world, and it's those who those sex revolution feminists who have ha- who are 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 wrong. They, you know, if we separate out those two things 
I think if we can get the the mainstream media to realize that there are two branches of feminism out here, pro-life and pro-abortion, if we can get that battle going in the major media, and I don't know if we can because they don't want to listen to it, but if we can, that will be that will be a great step forward because we are the pro-life women's movement of the 21st century. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how how do we recover from the normalcy of the Cosmo Girl ideal for women? I know that you've lived this lifestyle and this is something you've come out of. Can you share a little bit about kind of recovering this? Okay. I didn't completely live the Cosmo lifestyle, and that was one of God's greatest gifts to me. As a small-time girl from Iowa, I did reach what many would consider the peak of the glamorous, self-centered life, okay? I wrote for Cosmo. I was on the Oprah show. I rode in limousines. I was given all-expense-paid press trips all around the world, and it was all an illusion. You can't tell a bunch of lies, which I was doing in the 70s and 80s, without having them backfire on you, and that's what made me most miserable. What made me most miserable was having an abortion when I was 27. What made me happiest was my beautiful 40-year marriage. What made Mm -hmm. me happiest was baking homemade breads and chocolate chip cookies and spending time with my two children. Today, what has healed the pains of my past and brought me the deepest joy I've ever known, the deepest, is my relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the time in prayer. Um, A year ago, I even jumped into the void and took a leap of faith and moved from California to Wyoming to follow. I followed the priest out here. He's a a good priest, and I trust him to teach me the the truth. And uh, guess what? He didn't stop celebrating the liturgy during COVID. He kept everything going during Holy Week and the week after Easter, called Bright Week. We were in church for approximately 45 hours, no masks, lots of singing, sheer joy. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. It's amazing. I love it. Yes, I love it. Here's the question I have for you. And really, I would say this is the question of the hour. After two decades of writing for Cosmopolitan Magazine, working as a journalist, what have you now learned about femininity that you wish you had told women during your writing career? Well, of course, I still have a writing career, and I'm still talking to women. And what I've learned is what I've told them in both Subverted and this new book, Sex and the Catholic Feminist. You know, John Paul II, uh, who was uh, St. Pope John Paul II, called on Catholic women to embody a new feminism. And I believe women in the pro-life movement are doing exactly that. The path to true joy is not found through money and sex and abortion and a high wattage career or any other false idol, but through the love for God and others. And I think this new book, Sex and the Catholic Feminist, is what I want these young women to know. That's why I wrote these books, so that other people would not make the mistakes that I did. Again, you can find links to those books, Sex and the Catholic Feminist and Subverted, on our social media platforms. I highly recommend reading both of these books. Uh, Sue Ellen, for those who are wanting to start a healing journey, maybe they have lived this past that they regret, what would you recommend to get started, whether it's after recovering from an abortion or just living a sexual lifestyle that's making them unhappy? Well... 
I, in my case, my, my blessing was that I joined the Catholic Church. And when I uh, came into the Catholic Church, I went to confession, and um, the priest, I didn't think, when I first joined the Catholic, I didn't think the Catholic Church would take me, because why, we don't want your kind in here. <laughs> but I went to the uh, priest, and I confessed that confession, and there's lots of, um, there's lots of healing ministries within the church, Rachel's Vineyard, there's a whole bunch of healing ministries. I didn't have to go to one of those, because this priest that I went to was so good that uh, he healed me from that pain. Um, if I had not been healed from that abortion through confession and through prayer and through the Catholic Church, I would not be able to talk about this today because I, were, because I would still be all tied up in knots. So you've got to go to confession, go to these healing ministries. There's ways out of it. There's lots of ways out of it. Just take the first step. A question has come in on Instagram. They ask, how can we reach women when they believe the propaganda that Cosmo starts? And and this is so true. Some people have spent the last 10 plus years, you know, in their early teens reading Cosmo magazine. And then they see it everywhere in the media after they've been formed by it as a teenager in particular. Where do we go from here? You know, I'll throw a couple things out here, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. I think one, we have to talk about another lifestyle and we need to expose people to other lifestyles. And it starts, I think, with living it, you know, not being afraid to say we want to have children. We want to get married, that our primary vocation life is holiness and to show this by living joyfully. Joy is the secret. Joy is the secret. Share your joy because this other's lifestyle makes people miserable. Praise God. Praise God. And I have to encourage everyone. This is why we have a happy hour on trending every Monday. An hour focusing on our happiness. Various areas from psychology to faith about how we're called to live a joyful lifestyle. And that's seen in the Christian tradition. That's been Sue Ellen Browder. You can find links to her book, Subverted, and Sex and the Catholic Feminist on my social media at Trending with Tim Ray. We'll be right back here on Trending with Tim Ray to talk about surrogacy. You can listen to more of Trending with Tim Ray via the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com trending.